Well, good morning once again. Our passage comes from Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 39 through 56. Uh, Melissa earlier read the preceding passage where Mary was informed of God's plan through her. In our passage this morning, we will see pregnant Mary go to visit Elizabeth. John the Baptist is in her womb and he's six months along. Mary, the virgin, has just conceived the Son of God by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Mary's life is in chaos and turmoil. So she goes to see her cousin who as well had a miraculous pregnancy. Perhaps these two people can come together to make sense of what God is doing. And in fact, God does bring clarity. And it causes Mary to sing what has come to be known as the Magnificat. It's the first Christmas song. And it provides a perfect template for all the great Christmas songs to follow. Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now... All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God... If we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you um, that the word became flesh, uh, that the eternal incarnate son um, has come to earth. We thank you for this song of Mary. We pray that it would become our song as well, uh, that we would sing with great delight. Um, fill us with your spirit so we may comprehend these things and be filled with the joy of Christmas, we pray. Amen. I told you a few weeks back that I've been listening to Christmas songs exclusively since November 1st. 
Yes, November 1st. There's a station out here, 104.7. They've been playing Christmas songs nonstop since November 1st. But I'm sorry, it ends today at noon, so we're not quite going to make it. But anyway, as I've been listening, I've noticed there's like 75 songs that they've just been rotating and playing over and over. I guess, you know, it's an easy thing to do. Just pick 75 and just keep playing them. But I've also noticed that these songs fall into one of two categories. Songs that are meant to put you in a sappy mood for Christmas versus songs that put you in a proper mind for Christmas. That is, sentimental songs versus what Mary sang here, a revolutionary song. Sentimental songs, they're great. I'm not here to, uh, to, to you know, kick them to the curb. Something like Nat King's Coles, uh, Chestnuts, Roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. I'm not singing it. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Did you ever notice that Christmas songs are meant to excite some sort of nostalgia for something you've never experienced before? Anyway, I'm not against open fires, nor Eskimos for that matter. Um, But the sentimental embrace of Christmas misses the point. And no doubt, Mary would take issue with it. Mary's song is in no way sentimental, it's revolutionary. The thought of what God is doing in her and through her is extremely upsetting. Picture yourself in her shoes. Earlier we read that an angel named Gabriel startles Mary. He tells her that though a virgin who is betrothed to Joseph, she will conceive the Son of God who will reign forever over his kingdom. Mary asks just a simple question, but how? I'm a virgin. And the Holy Spirit, and the, the angel says, you will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. Well, that has happened. Now in our passage, Mary is pregnant. She visits her cousin who is also pregnant through a miracle of God. And so, no doubt, Mary and Elizabeth compare notes on what they've experienced. Uh, What did your angel say? Okay, I had the same angel. That's cool. All right, your husband can't speak? Wow, that's really rough. Um, Go read it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, And I'm certain they opened up the scriptures, which they knew well. And then they came together. And then Mary breaks forth in song, and it's no sappy, sentimental Christmas song. She doesn't start singing, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. She wasn't dreaming of a white Christmas. She sings a revolutionary song about God who is and, um, and what he's doing um, through the child in her womb. Mary says her soul magnifies the Lord and that her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. She's saying, I've never experienced anything like this before. I've never been so emptied and yet so filled. Everyone who's a real Christian understands what she's talking about. Tim Keller, who I'm indebted to on this teaching, on this passage, uh, Keller says this, Any Christian knows Christianity is not something you decide upon. It's almost like something from outside comes and decides upon you. You sense a power from the outside intervening in your life. You sense a power from the outside coming in and shaking you to your depths. My soul, my spirit. 
What Mary means here is that my very being, my very center, my very foundation has been changed. That, we say, is what every Christian has experienced. So what is it that brings about this great change? The answer is the revolutionary truth that Mary sings about. What she's singing about is really the reason why we can have Christmas joy, and not just on today, but for every day for the rest of our lives. Uh, A Christmas joy instead of a sappy sentimentality that begins fading away. December 26. This morning we're going to investigate what brings about this great change in Mary. We will see that Mary is singing about God's nature, God's purpose, and God's adequacy. Mary rejoices in God's nature. We see three things, his power, his holiness, and his mercy. Mary sings about God's almighty power, his omnipotence. Verse 49, she describes God as one who is mighty and done great things. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and brought down the mighty who rule with injustice. You know, today, though many people gather to celebrate the holiday season for the sentimentality that it can provide, a lot of people have trouble with God being almighty. Today, people believe in a limited God, a God at a distance, a God who fills in some sort of emotional need or lets you feel good about yourself, but not God Almighty. In their minds, they affirm that some sort of God exists, but they don't really believe uh, that the God who said, love me above all else and love your neighbor as yourself is actually backing it all up with all of his might. We can no longer settle for sentimental Christmas stories. Why? Because there's no room for sentimental Christmas stories if God Almighty leaves heaven and comes to earth. Mary magnifies God's nature, his all-powerful nature. She also sings of God's holiness. Having heard that God is coming in human form through her, uh, in verse 49, Mary says, I know he's holy. Holy is his name. What does he mean? I like what Keller says. The word holy means he's opposed to sin. He will never get used to it. He's a consuming fire. He goes on to write, one of the problems of living in New York is that you get used to it. You get used to the racial slurs. You you get used to seeing people sell themselves on the street. You get used to the self-aggrandizement at work. You get You're used to the corruption. You're used to, to people trying to cheat you. You get used to it. But he writes, God will never get used to it. Holy is his name. That means in God's nature, his nature is acidic towards sin and evil. Mary seemed to understand, though, of course, she wasn't told by Gabriel about the cross that would come eventually. And yet she knows that he's coming to deal with our guilt and our sin. She doesn't know how, but she says, I know the reason why you have come, and it's because you are holy. Do you know how to do that? Can you, can you sing, knowing that the reason he came is for your flaws? 
Last Sunday we sang Joy to the World. It's definitely not a sentimental song. Uh, it tells us of the links to which God went to, to save us. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, this child in Mary's womb will go to undo it and then bring God's blessing. The problem is, and this is why it's a revolutionary song, is that if we would but admit it, the curse has found its way into our own hearts. None of us live up to our own standards, let alone God's holy and good standards. Now Mary did not know that the cross was coming to her son. She did not know that. For now she just knew that he was holy and he was coming down. So Mary says that, first of all, God is the Almighty One, and He's a Holy One. Thirdly, she says that God is the Merciful One. You know, we need all three of these together, really, to have um, that revolutionary Christmas song. And in, and in Mary's mind, they all come together and unite in her, in her soul. This past week, I had a friend of mine leave his job at a fairly nationwide, large, privately held company. He gave them many good years as a sales rep. In fact, he's one of their stars. But the company is so poorly run. They promote caustic employees to manager-level positions. They hire inexperienced salespeople, and they never train them. They shrink the sales rep's territory and then double the quota. He had enough of it, and last Thursday was his last day. We celebrate it together. <laughs> you know what this company needs for the good of its employees and the good of its customers? It needs a company to come in and buy it out. A company that knows how to run a business well, how to make a business flourish. A new management team needs to come in and clean house of all that's unfit. From top to bottom, remove all that isn't good and right. Clean house of all that isn't holy and good in a business sort of sense. Some of you are thinking, can someone do that at my company? (laughs) Some of you own the company. All right, never mind. Um, A new management team has what we've been talking about, power and holiness. And if you were one of the incompetent workers, they would be right to fire you. So too, us before God, because he is powerful and holy, he has the right to fire us, to let us go, to blot us out. If God were just almighty and holy, then he would do what every good buyout firm would do, clear house. Every head would roll. But God is also merciful. This child in Mary will eventually bring us God's mercy through his sacrifice on the cross. I like what Keller says. God will cut the head off of our sin instead of cutting the head off our bodies. In a few minutes, we'll sing Charles Wesley's revolutionary Christmas song. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. 
peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's a revolutionary Christmas song. Do songs like that penetrate your soul? Do they cause you to rejoice with great delight? You see, without God being merciful, we could never be reconciled back to God. We like to think we earn God's acceptance by being good little boys and girls and not deserving any coal come Christmas. But, you know, that's nowhere found in the revolutionary songs. So let us then be filled with the Holy Spirit and unite our hearts with the revolutionary songs like Mary sang. That we would sing of God's nature, his, his power, his holiness, and his mercy. Mary sings of God's nature. She also sings about God's purpose. Mary is singing about something that actually takes place and has taken place in history. God's purposes are being played out in time and space. And this is one of the great things about Christianity, but it's also a frustrating thing. Christianity is not a private religion. Yes, Mary sings about the great things that God has done for her, but really most of the hymn is about what God has done and will do on the outside, in history. You know, the society we live in today almost demands that we privatize our faith. Find some principles for you for successful living. Apply them to yourself so you can find satisfaction and meaning and purpose for your life. But Mary doesn't sing like that. Mary magnifies God because he has changed the nature of things. He has changed the order of the universe. He has changed the nature of the world because of the things he's doing outside of her. Keller says that God has brought myth to factness. I think he created a word. What he's saying is that God has brought myth to factness, that the myth has become deep fact. I like what he says. Deep heaven has punched a hole with an omnipotent fist into the ceiling of history, and now it's down on our heads. God, by sending his son, Jesus Christ, has radically changed every human being's relationship with him. Now, every person in the world is called to a moment of crisis, whether you believe it or not. You can receive him and have the welcome of the father or else you lose all hope. That's the message of Christianity. It's always been a historical religion. That's the reason why everybody hates it. <laughs> All the other philosophies are deeply private and therefore deeply subjective. But Christianity does not proclaim, find your own path, whatever makes yourself feel good. Be, figure out what you determine to be success and then pursue that with all your gumption. No, what Christianity, what the gospel of Christmas proclaims is that God has done something outside of you in human history that's completely changed the relationship of every human being to God. In a moment of crisis is upon you. Mary sings a revolutionary song of God's nature and God's purpose and lastly, of God's adequacy. In verse 53, Mary says of God, He has filled the hungry with good things, but sends the rich away empty. 
Sounds like the Beatitudes. Mary has anticipated the Beatitudes of Jesus in, in Matthew's Gospel. What do the Beatitudes say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they are hungry. Blessed are those who admit that they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit means blessed are those who know they cannot meet their spiritual obligations. They cannot pay their spiritual debts. They are inadequate in themselves. And only God can give them salvation. Only God can give them pardon. Only God can give them power. Mary says the message of Christmas is revolutionary. You know, it it doesn't just differ from human expectations. It turns human expectations upside down, doesn't it? That's why what Mary predicts here is we've seen happen throughout history. See, the more educated you are, the more wealthy you tend to be, and therefore the more powerful you tend to be, and the more sure that you are that you have what it takes. And the less likely you are to receive any of these things from God. That's the reason of the great irony. In many cases, the powerful and the elite reject the gospel. Over 100 years ago, the former president of Harvard and his wife were both not believers. And uh, she wrote a letter to a friend. She wrote to an Episcopalian friend. And here's what she wrote. She said, My dear, every Sunday, do you get down on your knees with your children and confess that you're a miserable sinners? Neither my children nor I will ever do such a thing. The richer you are, and not just financially, the more you think you have it, and you will be turned away empty. When you sing a revolutionary Christmas songs, they will do nothing for you. There is no Magnificat in your soul, no rejoicing in your spirit. It's only the spiritually poor who find riches in Christ. The poor are not afraid to say, I'm a sinner, I have needs, I need the blood, atoning blood of God. God came just because... I needed him to. The spiritually poor are not too proud to hear and receive the revolutionary lyrics that bring us Christmas joy. Mary's song is a revolutionary song. She sings of our mighty, holy, and yet merciful God who has punched a hole into heaven and with great purpose has fought to overthrow mankind's rebellion. God has promised through the Christmas child to undo all that is miserable and sorrowful, far as the curse is found. Christ is the world's only hope, and he has come. And he will come again. So let us not be lulled asleep with sentimental and sappy Christmas songs. I'm not saying you can't sing them, but... Don't worry about having a blue Christmas or a white Christmas. Instead, have a revolutionary Christmas. And may it give you great joy this Christmas and for all your days to come. Understand what God has done for you. 
Let it come upon you like it did upon Mary. See what God has done. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with man to dwell. Jesus are Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that Christmas is far more than what we often tend to think it to be. That Christmas is transforming this world and transforming people made in your image. I pray that all of us here would be humbled by who you are, by your, by your power, by your plan, um, by what you were doing, that we may uh, be overcome and overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit to understand um, that our Savior has come. May we sing with revolutionary songs, we pray. Amen.